0: Welcome to the IPv6 Buzz podcast, where we dare to dive into the 128-bit address space wormhole. Quick reminder, there's sponsorship opportunities available for IPv6 Buzz and all the other Packet Pusher podcast shows. So if you're interested, you can go to packetpushersnet slash sponsorships and get all the details. And if you've got something cool working with v6, well, we definitely want to hear about it. So you know, reach out and we'd love to be able to have you on the show. I'm Ed Horley with my co-host Scott Hogue. Tom is out on assignment today, so he's not with us. But today we're going to be talking about IPv6 and Windows, and maybe more Microsoft as a as a general topic with our guest Richard Hicks. And um, hey, Richard, it's great to have you on the show finally. I feel Very I feel embarrassed because. Right, just for everyone's edification, Richard was the technical reviewer for my book. <laughs> so he should have been earlier on the list on all of this. So I'm glad uh, we're able to kick off uh, 2023 with you uh, on the show. So welcome. Awesome. Thank you for having me. I'm uh, tremendously honored to be with you guys. Well, hey, I, maybe we'll we'll kick it all the way back because because you did, my book came out way back in 20. Thirteen now, a decade ago. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> and and uh, and and you were the technical one of the technical reviewers with it. Along yes, with, uh, along with uh, Jason, Jason Jones. Jason Jones and yeah. <laughs> you know, long history with V six and Windows. Yeah, um, you know, why don't you tell us a little bit about why in the world did you need to know V six for Windows way back then? Absolutely, around, around Microsoft Absolutely. solutions because it's I, I, you know, that's that was quite a while ago, and, and maybe it would yes. be interesting for folks to sort of hear where. Sure. How that started?
1: Yeah, sure. So my my introduction to IPv6 was quite interesting. Uh, at the time, I was um, working predominantly with Microsoft technologies around security and access. So I was doing a lot of work with the old uh, Microsoft ISA server, the Internet Security and Acceleration Server. That was a firewall proxy solution that they had. Uh, that morphed into Forefront Threat Management Gateway. Um, and and those types of things, uh, that's kind of where I was spending my time. I was doing I was working for a um, uh, for a Microsoft OEM hardware provider or partner. And uh, my side of the house was responsible for the secure web gateway p- components, the the Isa and TMG components. And there was another side of the house that handled uh, handled application delivery via, Microsoft's IAG or Intelligent Application Gateway, and ultimately their unified access gateway solutions. Now in 2008, I believe or so, Microsoft introduced this technology called direct access. And it was really, um, it was the implementation of Microsoft's and and uh, technically Bill Gates vision of access anywhere. Essentially what they wanted was an automatic VPN connection that just worked wherever you were. And so it started out as kind of a skunk works project at Microsoft where they built this solution using um, uh, IPsec and IPv6 to make it work globally. And it didn't, it was a VPN that didn't require it to do anything, you know, the user to do anything, right? So this was right. you know, required no no user interaction. So ultimately that side of the house was dealing with UAG. And when Microsoft introduced direct access, Uh, uh, direct access was IPv6 only. And they realized, well, this isn't really going anywhere. We need to implement some, you know, transition and translation technologies to get this to work with IPv4 and interoperate with IPv4. And so they integrated it with UAG. So the UAG side of the house for this company that I was working for had no absolutely no networking experience whatsoever <laughs> right so they were right. they were application folks right so they were doing you know application proxy and reverse proxy and those types of things and so they're working at the http level a lot but didn't understand fundamental networking and of course direct access is a very complicated technology with many uh, interdependencies like active directory and group policy and certificates and things like that for folks that didn't have a strong uh, Windows uh, background. These these were daunting technologies, and they're daunting technologies for even it, it, uh, experienced administrators. Right. So I kind of came into this as you know having to learn how to do this because my team was essentially taking over that aspect of it. So I got introduced to Direct Access. I was looking at this and thought, like, "This is a really cool technology. I really like it." And Direct Access is an IPv6 only solution. So with Direct Access, the client talks IPv6 directly to the uh, uh, direct access gateway, the direct access server exclusively using IPv6. And so when you set up IPv6, of course, this is 10, 15, 20 years ago now, Uh, Everything was almost always IPv4. So all of the transition and translation technologies were baked into it. All of it was automatically configured for you, by the way. So you could click through the wizard and not even know how to spell IPv6 and make direct access work, right? Great. Thumbs up. The problem was is when it doesn't work, (laughs) (laughs) then you have to know IPv6. So Mm -hmm. when I started, when I got introduced to this technology, I very quickly had to learn about IPv6 addressing, prefixing, um, transition and translation technologies, especially because we were talking, you know, about a, a solution that was deployed when IPv4 was more predominant, right? So, mm-hmm. so that was kind of my gateway drug into IPv6. Is that, um, <laughs> you know, I was kind of forced into it by Microsoft choosing to use uh, leverage IPv6 as a technology to implement this kind of remote secure remote access solution. Yeah.
2: And one of the complementary technologies that went hand in hand with direct access was to tunnels and having Correct. that software built into the Microsoft clients to be able to pole vault over their IPv4 <laughs> net at their house
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> to
2: get the V6 packets over yes. that yeah, or through that moat or whatever my metaphor you want to use to get the V6 traffic Correct. encapsulated in UDP 3544 and get that traffic back. But yes. then also it was cool about you know teredo is it did that kind of stun you know what is my ip it it kind of the teredo server would tell you well here's what your ip v4 address looks like on the internet on the mm-hmm. other side of your net and then helps you build your v6 address based on that so
1: it's nefarious, Yeah, with the
2: breadcrumbs, to how to get back to you. And so that and, was really cool. And, and correct me if I'm worked. wrong, I
1: think Teredo is a Microsoft technology. I think they were the mm-hmm. ones that produced that, correct? Yeah.
2: yeah they yeah, they that's, submitted that's right. the RFC. The
1: RFC, yeah. The RFC, RFC, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, I th- thought that was their technology, but it is an open standard. But yeah, so with yeah. direct access, of course, since it was relied on, you know, exclusively on IPv6 end-to-end, like, or not end-to-end, I should say, from the client, to the gateway, everything's translated at the gateway to the internal network. That was all IPv6, so you had to uh, transition it somehow, right? So you had to use the transition technology, and mm-hmm. then of course we used you know six to four Teredo and then of course IP HTTPS, which very quickly became the solution of choice simply because it just worked everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It was it, if you had access to the internet, it used uh, HTTPS to encapsulate IPv6 essentially, and that's open ubiquitously. So anywhere you were, direct access would always work. And so mm-hmm. very quickly we switched over to just using IPHTPS. But you're absolutely right. Six to four Todo and IPHTTPS, you know baked into the mm-hmm. to the operating system back in the day.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, and then you had the wonderful nightmare of like, do I run Isotap internally to make access for a thing? But
1: anyway, we'll <laughs>
0: don't approach oh, that.
1: <laughs> I have, I have a great story for your audience that uh, I'll share with you briefly. Um, and you can edit this out, Ed, if you don't want to, if, if you don't want to, <laughs> if you don't want to share it. But my, the my first, Ed, the first time I met you. Uh, we were at the MVP conference, the, the MVP, MVP summit in Redmond, Washington. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I was in a session with Forefront TMG. I was there with Dr. Tom Schinder, yep. who had uh, done a lot of work with ISA and TMG and was doing a lot of work with direct access. Yeah, and our session was over and you were in the hall and you just come in and you you were talking with uh, with Tom about uh, some of the requirements for direct access and basically railing on him for why in the world are you guys using ISATEP <laughs> like this? And I learned more about Isotap in that five or ten minute conversation uh, that you and, and Tom were having than, than I had, and I remember getting your contact information because I said at that point I said this guy really knows some cool stuff. I want to make sure I, I keep in touch with him. So it's it's been fantastic, <laughs> but it was so funny because I, at the time I you know I I didn't know anything about Isotap. Who's and, this punk kid coming in <laughs> It was very enlightening to know. Hey, wow, this this really isn't a great protocol, is it? But. <laughs> I'll, I'll share with you, though. It, it works. I mean, it, it, you know, if you can, oh, it works. Yeah. yeah if, if you can accept a lot of those limitations, you know, it can, it can you know, it can it can Yeah. flatten, some, flatten your purpose, entire but, topology. But but problem, and you're right in that 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 therein lies. The problem is that back in the day, Microsoft's guidance was to just put an Isotab record in DNS and take it out of the, you know, the global query block list. And then and boom, everything works. Yeah, sure it does. But now every device in your enterprise has an IPv6, and guess what? You're right. It's flat network, right? So Isotap <laughs> is flat. So yeah, so it was very eye opening. I learned quite a bit that day, and ultimately, you know, that's where I developed, the, you know, uh, um, really the strategy to say, you know what? Maybe we shouldn't be deploying Isotap globally. We should be doing this in a more targeted yep. effort because there's only a handful of hosts that actually need this. If you're if you ever need it. And so, very quickly, we realized that flipping it on globally was not a good idea. So, you know, we live and learn. But, but the Microsoft documentation in the day just said, "Put this DNS record in, you know, in DNS, and and then it works, right?" So, yeah, that was that was, learn.
0: That was the great advantage of having uh, Jason, uh, uh, you know, doing the technical review and being like, "Yeah, yep. we don't recommend that anymore." <laughs> Microsoft Consulting Services doesn't do that anymore. So, well, it was super. Useful. And
1: therein lies the problem: is, is that the documentation is often written by folks who are not implementers, right? right? um they're sitting in a lab they're mocking this up oftentimes using uh you know guidance from you know the the developers and so they they really don't live in the real world so <laughs> Ultimately, you you do have to find someone with more experience, more practical experience, more practical like, experience that that knows what the downsides of doing these things that you're suggesting are.
0: Yeah, it's, it's it's just great for our security posture of just making everything look like they're on the same network. <laughs> like, that was pretty funny. That was an interesting conversation. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, so so here we are. We got. Direct access as a, as, a as, as the main set of technologies that Microsoft's sort of pushing forward. They got all these v six capabilities in there. they got all these translation technologies built into the operating system and 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 let's sort of fast forward a little bit to their to their next iteration around sort of VPN sets of technologies. And by the time they sort of reiterate around this, public cloud is is available. So you know there's a difference in terms of like deploying within an enterprise environment. I, I feel like direct direct access was very much for Still, the on-premises solution offering, it wasn't really a cloud-based solution offering. It was really much more around, like, I've got an on-premises facility. I might still be running my Exchange server. I might still be running, you know, all sorts of other services on-site. And I would say, maybe this is a broad stroke, but most folks have probably just pushed up to Office 365 and said, we're done with this. (laughs) We don't want to run that stuff. So how did Microsoft change their direction around v6 and, and specifically around the VPN solution side? Like. Walk us through a little bit about that, because sure. I think that changes their V6 story a little bit.
1: You're absolutely right. So direct access was a technology that was designed in the days of your, when you had a domain, everything was joined to the domain. You had a perimeter firewall and you had this very clear delineation between internet and trusted network, right? So uh, this was the day well before public cloud. Um, and it was a scenario in which, you know, it had a clearly defined perimeter the edge was, again, clearly defined and, um, you know, everything was Windows and joined to the domain, you know, for a- enterprise networks like that. And, and that was all, you know, happy, right? So the problem was, is that the the cloud was really the demise of direct access uh, and and really principally influenced the um, those design changes, right? So as we began to move to the cloud and we started to move workloads and services to the cloud, infrastructure applications and things like that, then uh, that those th- those lines get blurred quite a bit right so what is on premises what's not on premises or what is trusted and not trusted mm-hmm. and those days you know of of the you know the old perimeter design are quite clearly gone right so we're we're moving much more to a zero trust model today and you're right uh, most applications and services are available through public cloud um, even even quote private data can be stored publicly with you know public interfaces and you can use a variety of tools and technologies to to secure those. And, and with that regard, um, that really was the kind of nail in the coffin for direct access. There wasn't um, a, um, one of the things you have to go back to with direct access that had very st- um, um, stiff requirements for things like uh, the servers and the clients had to be joined to the domain. Well, right. we've kind of moved away from that model today or are moving rapidly away from that model today. And so, um, you know it becomes difficult to have a solution that leverages that. So Microsoft, for um, uh, uh, for all intents and purposes, has pivoted from direct access to something called always on VPN, which is, in my estimation, it's kind of back to the future, right? So they're actually leveraging capabilities of the native VPN client in Windows to provide direct access- like functionality. So direct access was seamless uh, seamless, transparent, always on. Same thing with always on VPN. It's just the same thing, only different. The uh, The user experience is identical, but the mechanics of how we deliver that is fundamentally different. So below the covers, we are simply using the VPN client to provide this. Now, the beauty of this, of course, is that it's implemented entirely on the client. So all of that functionality is built into the client. The infrastructure can be anything you want. It can be Windows servers, but it could also be a a Cisco router or firewall. It could be a a Palo Alto, really doesn't matter. And you can leverage and build this solution in a variety of ways. And at this point now, IPv6 becomes optional. And, of, you know, of course, some administrators, you know, rejoice at that because, you know, you know, as well as anybody, there's a lot of folks that are highly resistant to IPv6. Sadly. <laughs> sadly. We don't know what you're talking um, about. <laughs> no, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. But uh, but at the end of the day, um, there, uh, it does support IPv6. I've done a couple of implementations where we had to use IPv6. And sadly, this is where it kind of exposes some of the limitations of Microsoft's IPv6 support, because when you start introducing IPv6, you run into some limitations and you find some brokenness that can be terribly frustrating at times.
0: Yeah. I mean, why don't you maybe, maybe walk us around some of those areas that are sort of like of, of, of interest around V6. Cause there's are certain areas that Microsoft has done really well on V6. And I think oh, yeah. there's still areas that there that are, I wouldn't say there are struggle, but there's gaps maybe in mm-hmm. terms of where things fit and we can talk. I mean, Scott and I have our short list, <laughs> right? So yeah. you know, Compare it to your short list and sort of see what where your where your thinking is around that. I mean, you're do, you're doing you know the always on VPN side. Yep. So there's probably a few a few gaps on that side. I'm not as familiar with the always on VPN. I'm, I've never really done a practical deployment of it at all.
1: Mm-hmm. So you're yeah. you're the expert in this category. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, so with always on VPN, one of the first things that comes to mind uh, with IPv6 shortcomings and limitations is that um, always on VPN does allow you to establish what's known as traffic filters. So these think of them as firewall rules that are tied to the VPN interface. Right. So when the VPN comes up, it gets a set of policies that are administrator defined. And those policies can be based on the standard stuff, right? The five tuple source, uh, source address, destination address, protocol port. Um the, those traffic filters can be used and they're very powerful tools that allow administrators to uh, you know add a fine uh, to very finely control access at a granular level for uh, traffic going over the VPN tunnel um, today if you try to create a traffic filter with IPv6 it breaks <laughs> so, so <laughs> it's broken so it's, it's a bug right so as soon as you add a traffic filter with an I with an ipv6 uh, source or destination uh, address, then it just bombs. Um, and, and and in fact, if you don't, if you have traffic filters implemented, and you don't have any, excuse me. If you have a traffic filter implemented, and you um, actually let me back up. If you have uh, an always-on VPN profile, and you get an IPv6 from the VPN server, as soon as you put one traffic filter in there, even if it has IPv4, it breaks. So there's. There's some real frustrating things around no. that as well. There's also some shenanigans with Intune. So Microsoft Intune is their mobile device management platform. It's a right. great solution. And uh, some frustrating things, for example, when you're going through the UI to build a VPN profile in Intune um, and you're setting up your route. So you're you're creating your routes and you're defining which prefixes IPv4 and IPv6 you want to come over the tunnel in a split tunnel scenario. Mm-hmm. There is a... Uh, in the example, it says enter an IP address, and it gives you an IPv4 and an IPv6 address as an example. Awesome! So you type in your your uh, your uh, uh, IPv6 address, and when you go to the field to put in the prefix length, and you type 64, it says. Enter a number between one and thirty-two. <laughs> so, so some really frustrating things like you know you're UI IPv6, problems. but yeah. you won't let me use the standard IPv6 prefix link. You're just killing me, right? So there's things like that that will just drive mm-hmm. you up a wall that that mm-hmm. are are challenging. Now Microsoft, so those things would be that's just a you know a UI yeah, UI uh, issue. But somebody's got to fix that per- uh, because. There is a way to configure always on VPN using PowerShell and an XML configuration file, and it supports that just fine. So it's just a UI validation issue there. But some of the other things are more structural, things like traffic filters breaking with IPv6. That's challenging. Microsoft's aware of them. They're working on them. Hopefully they get those addressed soon.
0: Now, is the workaround that you were able to basically capture before it goes in the VPN with like a Windows firewall, maybe like you can do the right things with the Windows, local Windows firewall? So, yeah. It makes so, it you costly. could.
1: Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, if, you, if you're looking to do that, you would have to implement these in the Windows firewall. Got it. Um, fundamentally speaking, when you create a traffic filter in an always on VPN deployment, it's implemented as a part of the Windows firewall technically it's actually part of the windows filtering platform it's Got implemented it. at a very low level so you don't see these rules in the windows firewall uh, and, you know a user even an they're administrator, being sneaky <laughs> enable or disable them yeah so but they're they're in there they're buried you have to dig to find them but ultimately they they are there at a, at a very low level well, yeah.
0: at least we know that powershell still works the way we anticipate so that's ours our saving yeah. grace PowerShell to the rescue mm-hmm. yeah very very cool well, I mean, it's. is there other things in terms of sort of... Um, I, do you think there's things that they've done well in terms of the V6 side? For I, My personal one that I was happy about is, and I'm, I'm sure we've mentioned this on previous shows, is that on, on Windows with the Creators Update, Windows 10, way back in Windows 10 and Creators mm-hmm. Update, they finally turned off you know, Isotap and 6 to 4 as being default on to being Correct. default off. And then they they also turned off Teredo as an automatic default off. Mm-hmm. You can still use it if you need it, but... Oh, yeah. But you have to trigger it in a specific way in order to get it to operate correctly. You, so
1: you're you're absolutely right. And back in the day, we used to always that's like one of the first things that we would do as a part of a direct access deployment is set up a GPO at the domain level and disable six to four trado on IceTap. Just get right. rid of it all. We don't need this, right? So right. do that yeah. now. Because as you mentioned, they used to be prior to the creator's update, they used to be on enabled and on by default. Like you know, Teredo would come up ice tap would come up if it found the dns record some some a lot of problems around that um so proactively disable them was great but then eventually windows and microsoft have, have you know deprecated those changes and technologies and now they're all disabled by default interestingly though when you look in the operating system today they still show the state is enabled uh which is odd so sometimes i still just for you know, just for comfort level, we'll still go in and turn them off. But yeah. um, but they, you, they aren't. Your, those interfaces are not activated. That's for sure. Right. Yeah. Do your PowerShell. Go ahead and apply yep. it. And, or GPO. Yeah. Or if, you're, if you're still managing via GPO. But yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. Just just for good measure, just to make sure that uh, you know they can't be restarted.
2: <laughs> I mean, many other you know, Microsoft services like Microsoft 365, Microsoft Teams can work mm-hmm. IPv6 only um so there's some good stuff in those services those you
1: ones. bet and and you're absolutely right in, in terms of going back to your question of what what they're doing well um the implementation in in windows is very good i, I think it's one of the better implementations of windows mm-hmm. in terms of support for most of the technologies that you would need um in, in terms of their cloud presence you know yeah absolutely all of their almost all if i'm not mistaken all of their Public places and services like Teams and Office 365 and and those types of things are all addressable via IPv6. So that's fantastic. That's great. I, I think where they tend to fall down is in some of their uh, public cloud offerings in Azure. So um, you know they do. I was I was quite happy when they finally introduced support for you know IPv6 in the Azure Vnets because you know AWS had had that for quite some time,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but. Uh, it's still lacking in a lot of places. Like, for example, I don't think the Azure firewall supports IPv6. Um, none of their VPN services support IPv6. So you can enable VPN uh, services either point to site or site to site in Azure, but they don't support V6. They have yeah. no uh, IPv6. You have to tunnel endpoints. it, a different,
0: you have to tunnel it a different way. Yep. Yeah. And then yeah. Uh, I think, but I think they've got V6 added in ExpressRoute now. So I think you can now do V6 right. native on ExpressRoute from you know an on premises deployment of your v6 express route get v6 into azure on a public yep. vnet or you know on the public private vnet side depending on how you deploy yep. hopefully pri- hopefully private
1: if you're trying to keep it you know not on the internet but <laughs> <laughs> yeah and, and then uh, azure virtual and i don't know if you have any experience there azure virtual runs is an incredibly powerful networking uh platform in azure that allows you to build out some really really uh incredible networking solutions using uh using their technologies uh support site site vpn point site vpn N- none of it none of it supports ipv6 today so yeah, hopefully not, that's coming at some point in the future but it's not there today so
0: yeah i'm not surprised i'm not too surprised that they would start first on the v4 side to really sort of get, yeah. the, get that going and i guess technically we could we could do an overlay on top of whatever vpn solution they're doing to get v6 across if, if that's something that you really need
1: um, yeah. But, agreed. Uh, if it was that pressing, you're absolutely right. It's just um, frustrating. That it's not supported natively, but hopefully that's coming soon.
0: Yeah, yeah for sure. I mean, that's, so is there, is there other things that, you know, advice you might want to share with the audience, some learnings, some, <laughs> some other things, resources sure. that you found useful over the years? I mean, that's it's, uh, and you know, what's, what, and you know, what's, what's your feelings around the sort of the V6 landscape as it is yeah. today, because it's, it's, you know, it's been a decade since we've, you know, so yeah. really been in the trenches and so, working through it.
1: Absolutely. So there's some, there's some great learning out there. Uh, and, and honestly, your book, IPv6, uh, uh, practical IPv6 for windows administrators is still applicable today. I, I think if you picked it up and read it today, um, it's not, even though it's a little bit old, it's not terribly outdated because, you know, most of what's in there is still, is still valid today. Uh, that said, Joe Davies' uh, Understanding IPv6 is really the bible for IPv6 and yeah, Windows third, third edition. Most of yeah, and our friend Joe is fantastic. You know, and my what a fantastic writer he is. So that is a that is a, a fantastic book. I don't know if that's in print, but you should be able to buy that on yeah, Amazon Microsoft. as used, right? So I'm sure somebody's willing to sell that somewhere. <laughs> um, but that is a fantastic book. And, you know, there's a lot of other great books too. You know, uh, Sylvia Hagen's IPv6 Essentials shoot tom's ipv6 address planning book is great i i I, uh i was hoping he would be on the call today because i was gonna uh, you know ask him to you know update that because i'm sure he's learned quite a bit since he wrote it it would be great to to know if he's he's planning to do you know a v2 on that book but that's a fantastic book as as well so there's a lot of there's a lot of good resources out there as well and of course you know your training classes the uh the training that uh um, that you folks offer is, was is good. I attended that class recently, and um, Scott, you were a fantastic instructor. I learned a lot uh, <laughs> in you. that class, so that's a that's a good one as well.
0: Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I, I really feel like um, I mean, it, it's it, we're in an interesting transition period. At least it, it's my feeling that it is time for a lot of the um, core operating systems, and I'm t- I'm speaking sort of across the board. Mm-hmm. Um, of of sort of catching up with where the industry is going with v6 now as sort of a next generation i feel like microsoft did a fantastic job in the 2000 you know the sort of mid 2000s of mm-hmm. really stomping on the gas pedal accelerating everything and and fundamentally changing the networking stack within windows itself to be able to accommodate ipv6 in a way that yeah. was going to be impactful for everyone and i applaud them for for doing that you i bet. think i think they're at the i think the industry at a point scott i don't know if you agree with this but that there needs to be a refresh to sort of catch up with where the requirements are today about what needs to happen, especially as like the US federal government has an IPv6 only requirement. Like there's a Mm -hmm. lot of changes that are going on that I think the operating vendors need to get together and and probably participate a little bit more heavily on figuring out what makes sense as the next thing from an operational model standpoint. I don't know, you know, I mean, Scott, I don't know if you think I'm wrong on that one, but it sort of feels that way right now.
2: Uh I think you should. I mean, if you're going to plan for dual stack, which is a near term goal for most enterprises, I think you should plan for v6 only at least have that as one of your test cases. We've talked about that before, Mm -hmm. you know, go to take it to that next level and see where you stand and you should know sooner rather than later, or at least have that as part of your long range plan. And know what you're what you're going to be up against but you should figure it out like we often say if you're going to write a piece of software you know write it so it works v4 only of course write it so it works dual stack and you might if you're writing your code you might as well write it so it works v6 only at this stage mm-hmm. so you don't have to ever go back and fix it
0: right 100 percent. Great, yeah yeah, that's a, that's a really good point, and I I, I think some of the some of the redesign and discussions among all the major major operating system folks. Uh, I think I, I you know just as aside, I think Apple is doing some pretty good innovation in the networking stack right now. Mm-hmm. Um, they feel like they they're pushing forward. I think Scott and I were talking about you know four six four x lots and c lots and, and where that fits. And while Microsoft has that technically in the operating system, like most people probably don't know this, like but you you know Windows ten Windows eleven technically has you know a cell in there. It's just it never gets enabled on a LAN or or a wireless WAN interface because you know it's it's just it's never turned on for that. It's really mm-hmm. there for 5G, 4G services. Mm-hmm. So that if you come up on a you know a mobile cellular network, it'll do the right thing. And if it needs to be able to put you know a little shim in there to fake out IPv4 to get it across an IPv6 only mobile network, you know mm-hmm. like T-Mobile, it it'll mm-hmm. work. Um, yeah. So the code's in there. It's like, oh, well, can we turn the code on for <laughs> other so interfaces, Yeah, we're so close. It's a, it's one of those. So I think there's a lot of things that just the industry overall sort of needs to to gather together and be like, this is how we're going to operationally get to v6 only. And mm-hmm. uh, and my, I think Microsoft needs to participate in that. And they probably need to get you know, I, I, I haven't been keeping up with any of the MVP stuff, but uh, you know, because it's been quite a few years since I participated in the program. But it probably makes sense for them to get some younger folks on the MVP side to come in that are networking focused to just work on those related problems, right? Mm-hmm. To really sort of uh, drive that forward um, and hopefully get you know better operational practices. And I imagine the Microsoft Consulting Services team has seen a lot of this
1: in some of their federal customers now
0: where they're like, yeah, we got to get this fixed. We got to get this working, <laughs> right?
1: Without question. And I think that's going to be you know the driver to adoption, right? So I, I think that as Microsoft has to meet these requirements that are coming coming down the pike, right? Uh, that they're going to have to get this in order. So uh, I, I expect that they're under some some pretty intense pressure by the u s. federal government to to expedite those things,
0: yeah. I don't know what we, you know that's all inside baseball. We don't get to see into any, any of that stuff <laughs> right right? Yeah <laughs> well, cool. Well, hey, you know, I guess I guess that's a good a good enough place to sort of wrap things up. I think uh, and I really appreciate you coming on and
1: my chatting, pleasure. Thanks for having me. About
0: Microsoft and Windows and, and V6, so uh, it's delight having you on. But hey, you know, unlike V6, we run out of space for the podcast. But thanks to today's guest, Richard Hicks, how can the audience follow you on the internet?
1: So um, website www.richardhicks.com, probably the best place to go to just to find uh, general information about myself. And then uh, Twitter is my um, social media platform of choice, so you can find me there at Richard Hicks.
0: Okay, awesome. And uh, Richard's pretty active. He's got a ton of blog posts that are super useful. So for those that aren't as familiar with maybe some of the you know, old school, both direct access, but new school, always on VPN, and you want to figure out information around all of that, he is the resource on the internet for finding that stuff for sure. So I think you can do a search and not, not pull Richard's site up for, for any of that. Any of that related content, which is awesome. Thank you so much for putting that stuff out there.
1: My pleasure. Yeah. Thank
0: you. (laughs) You can reach the IPv6 Buzz Buzz podcast on Twitter. We're at IPv6 Buzz. And you can hit up myself and Scott on Twitter. Scott is at Scott Hogue, and I'm at E Tom's on LinkedIn at LinkedIn slash in slash Tom Coffeen. Uh, thanks for listening to the IPv6 Buzz. You can find us on the Packet Pushers or any of your favorite podcast apps. Just search for IPv6 Buzz. And if you like the show, hey, please give us a rating on iTunes. If you like this podcast, we really recommend you check out Heavy Networking, day Do cloud and the Network Break podcast, plus all the other great technical content over at PacketPushers.net. So long, and until next time, we'll see you on the internet. The IPv6 internet, that is. Thanks for listening to IPv6 Buzz, a podcast devoted to truth, justice,
1: and 128 bits of address space. IPv6.